whole lot of talk. The interviews that rock. Brought to you by Rock Antenna, Germany's number one rock radio station. Hey, Ben. I can hear you. I can see you. I can, <laughs> can almost touch you. Nearly. Nearly. <laughs> almost. There you go. Yeah. This How is the you? future. This is the future. You're like reaching out and touching the <laughs> screen. And we'll, we'll have some experience. That's right. That's right. Nikki, good to have you here. So, first of all, we have two reasons to talk. Uh, the release of the Best Of album and the release of the book. Yes. So, let's start with the music. Um, just just released your, your greatest hits album. Uh, how do you feel with the... You know, we had, um, we, we, we worked pretty quickly. The last records that we did was a double record and we did it like in like six months. Yeah. This is a magic chemistry between me and the guys in the band. Uh, but that was like, and then we went, so I did Motley Crue double album, released them, went out, supported, uh, I was five finger and shine down, did arenas and, uh, did a bunch of festivals in Europe, played some weird gigs. It was, it was really a blast. And um, then like we came home and it was like, we needed like a break. And we started talking about this idea of a hits, right? We was like, man, we've had a lot of hits and also fan hit because it's not called greatest hits. They're not like everyone's, you know, a paid for number one. It's they're, they're the hits, the ones the fans voted on, the ones with the biggest streaming numbers, et cetera, et cetera. And then we wrote some new songs for it and then re-recorded some old songs. We were just in this cool creative process. And then I called the guys up and said, I'm, I'm almost done with this new book I'm writing about my first 21 years. Remember when we did the soundtrack to my book, The Heroin Diaries, did the Heroin Diaries soundtrack. And they were like, that was such a fun experience. And I asked them if they'd be you know, open to like writing a song and uh, about that. And then like two hours later, we're talking about You know, when DJ was growing up in Indiana and he was just like, wasn't allowed to go to concerts because he's a really religious family. And then he got his first guitar and then his first girlfriend and then James, same thing and me, same thing. And then that's what we captured in the song. And we wrote it in kind of a 70s way. We have this kind of post-chorus queen part that comes out. Then this verse that like in the 70s, The verse could sometimes be the chorus. So it was like the first 21 and we're talking about first 21. And then we do this, the actual chorus that's talking about, you know, when we were young and we were as high as the stars in the sky. So we're able to like write from a different perspective. And then it was like finding uh, all the old eight millimeter uh, film in my aunt and uncle's garage that we were able to work with Lucy Dyson uh, that works with um, Paul McCartney a lot to put together a really cool video. I feel like we kind of captured the whole essence. Uh, do you have a favorite track for you personally on the album? There's some really, there's some really, really great songs. Um, Life is beautiful is always going to be a special song to me very much like um, some of the songs for Motley Crue that like first, connected us to a lot of people um uh, i guess live wire could be that song but a lot of people feel you know stuff like looks at kill before we became bigger you know mm -hmm. um there's um 
I don't know, man. I just, I, <laughs> it's really interesting to be in 6am because we're, we're a different band than Motley Crue mm -hmm. yet. Motley Crue fans like 6am. It's not so different where it's like, I don't like that stuff Nikki's doing over there. And that's been kind of cool to be like, I'm like in a new band in a sense, like, you know, I get played alongside of the Axie Alexandria's and the Papa Roaches and the five fingers. Yet I'm in this other band that gets played next to Zeppelin and G and R and stuff. So that's, I, I don't know, man, it's a pretty cool <laughs> place to be. Uh, you started the band uh, in uh, 2007, 6 a.m. Yeah. So, so, so what was the reason for you to, to create a, a new band besides Motley Crue? Um, as long as I can remember, I've been kind of a documentarian, uh, writing stuff down, different ideas. And when it's, whether it's photography or poetry or writing books, and, and I got to Los Angeles and We talk about the discovery of music in Los Angeles and how important that was and coming of age and stuff. So I got finally, you know, Motley Crue is like everything. Motley Crue is still my mothership, but the brain, the, the, the young boy in Idaho, he's still dreaming. And, you know, this write a book, write a soundtrack to a book, you know, start getting more well known as a photographer you know, working with Leica camera, having my own gallery shows, they named a camera after me. This is the thing I like to share with people is, you know, you don't have to be linear and you just have to follow like what you're passionate about. And I feel really fortunate. Like why? That's why I did 6am. It has nothing to do with Motley Crue. At one point, guys at Motley Crue are like so awesome. We were doing a thing called Crew Fest and Life is Beautiful was like peaking at number one everywhere in America. Mm. And um, they were totally cool with putting 6 a.m. Uh, we were on the bottom of the bill, but with, you know, uh, on this Crew Fest tour. So I got to play. That was a cool experience. I had to play in 6 a.m. Then go backstage, hang out, come back on stage and play Motley Crue. <laughs> so it was like, well, how do I, how do I do this? Like Motley Crue's about blood and guts and punching you in the face and six AMs. I don't know, maybe a more about pulling, ripping your heart out. So that was cool. Like, right. Like, I don't know if I'll ever get to do that again. We have to talk about uh, a very special album for me personally, Dr. Feelgood. Um, Because I saw the Dr. Figo tour in, in Munich uh, when you played together with uh, the guys from Skid Row. Yes, that was a great uh, tour. Yeah, and I, and I talked uh, to uh, Tommy and uh, Mick at that time. Um, what is the special thing about the Dr. Feelgood album? What was the, 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 the secret of the success? When we finished, we were living in an apartment me and Tommy and Vince, a Too Fast for Love album, we were, you know, we had all of our favorite albums that we loved, you know, whether it was like Aerosmith Rocks or like Judas Priest and ACDC. And Too Fast for Love is literally what it is. Like we went in the studio, you push record, the fire in the belly and you captured it. And a couple overdubs, that was it because we had no money, yeah. right? And so we thought that was... Um, We thought it sounded great, but then we compared it to our heroes, 
we wanted to step up the Sonics. So because Too Fast for Love did so good, we got a major label deal with Electra. We got to go in the studio, record Shout at the Devil and actually got to spend a few months in there. Then like the next album, which like Trey. So it became about Sonics. And I think we had tapped out on our Sonics uh, with Tom Worman producing. It was, we were looking for something else. So we were like looking at producers that had records that had layers and tons of, of uh, adventurous undertones and stuff. And we had heard, but we didn't want to be like softer. We wanted to be thicker and heavier. And the songs were leaning towards that and songs like kickstart my heart and stuff like that. Um, we heard kingdom come, I think on the radio and I remember I was with Tommy and he goes, listen to that drum sound. And I was like, yeah, it's like uh, not Bonham, but in the Bonham world. And I wonder how they recorded that, you know, all this stuff. We find out it was Bob Rock. So I send Bob Rock a demo tape of basically the album. We'd just gone to this little studio in the valley and we were just, We'd would write, we'd go to rehearsal, we'd rehearse up, we'd go to the thing, we'd record pretty much live off the floor, do a few overdubs, and we had demos. And we did that for Shout at the Devil. We've done that a lot. Uh, I love that process. So we had the music to send to Bob Rock, and uh, that was the beginning of a long relationship uh, with Bob Rock. For me, one of my uh, longest, dearest friends and someone I respect so much. And to bring him back in to work on the Dirt um, songs was exciting because Bob Bob will push you, <laughs> and I I'm I'm in the recording studio like I I am a uh, this is what I hear this is what I want like these are the lyrics let's keep pushing you know in the studio and Tommy's pushing the Sonics and we're demoing but when I get in the studio with my producer. I now feel like my job is now to be the bass player. And if I'm told like I was by Bob Rock to rewrite the lyrics for Dr. Feelgood seven times, I go do what I'm told. And I enjoy that. You know, it's like he becomes the alpha male and he was able to walk us through things that we didn't know. Just unbelievable. Uh, is there, let's say, a special chemistry recording at the little uh, mountain sound studios in Vancouver. I think the, the chemistry was that none of us were home. So we went from living in an apartment together and lived and breathed Motley Crue 24 hours a day to, you know, eventually having our own homes. You know, we lived in different areas. We're still in a band, but we're not like in it together all the time and things you have life, you know, in the way. So the idea was to get the hell out of L.A. and move to Vancouver and only Motley Crue is the only thing that mattered. We got up in the morning, did what we you know, worked out, cleaned up, went to the studio by 11 and we were in the studio and we worked really hard till a certain time. Bob was like eight o'clock. We're done. Like we're yeah. done. We're going to work our asses off. We have one break in between. And then you go back, you listen to the, you know, the daily recordings, you get your ideas. We're actually going to bed on time and getting up early. And everything was just about 
feeling good, being in it, living it, breathing it. And, and I think the thing was, there's no distractions. Um, did Bob uh, also say, okay, this song you're going to put on the album, this song not? Uh, how was he involved uh, in, in, into the process of, of uh, choosing songs? I think Bob is, at the time of those songs, really liked the body of work that we had created. It was just a matter of mastering them into a way, not master recording, like getting them to be there at their peak. And, you know, there's songs on the record that I, like, like She Goes Down, for example, was just kind of this riff and um, just being snarky. And I never really thought it would be on the album. Um, but, you know, you listen back and you're like, oh, that's a great riff. And it's kind of got a cool groove and stuff like Rattlesnake Shake. We were working on, but didn't really come to fruition until we were in the studio, bringing in the saxes and stuff like that, that, you know, we'd never had stuff like that on albums and uh, background singers and just a lot of stuff to help develop the uh, density of the sound. Uh, you're writing most of the, or you, you wrote most of the songs um, in Motley Crue, uh, also in 6am. Uh, how, how do you, uh, let's say, how do you change? This is Motley Crue, this is 6am. It's all about who you're with. So if me and you are writing a song, it's going to be different than if I'm with these two guys over here, or if I'm with the guys of Motley Crue. It's just natural. People have their own ideas, their own way of playing. So, you know, we didn't really have to say, hey, this is too Motley sounding or, you know, it, it just never did. But it's still rock, you know what I mean? <laughs> sure, it is, definitely. Um, there's, um, I, I read the book. Uh, it seems to me very, very personal. Yes, the new one. Um, there's uh, one person seems to be very important for you, Alan Kovac. What can, what can you say about him? By Alan Kovac? Yeah. So, um, during the process, after Feel Good, and um, we had a falling out with Doc McGee around the Moscow Music Festival, And we were with Doug Thaler, who's a great manager, great nuts and bolts guy. But I was starting to be more interested in multiple layers for the band. You know, now you can say, oh, Nikki writes books and soundtracks and turns it into a musical that you can, oh, that guy's always thought like that. So I just remember a couple moments where like I had, um, mentioned, uh, you know, literally like, Hey, what's the biggest show on television right now? And it was like the Simpsons. And I go, we should launch our new song on the Simpsons. And that never happened. And the, uh, because no one was listening because they were doing it old school way. And then, uh, another moment for me is I called up and said, who's the one that called Dr. Pepper. Who's the one that makes you feel All right. I mean, that's a no brainer. I mean, you know, my two year old could have come up with that idea and the phone calls were never made. And um, there were thing, other things. 
And I remember at the time it was like talking to Tommy and the guys in the band. I said, you know, we're going to be stuck in the same old, like put a record out, do a tour, come home, sit on the couch, write songs, put a record out, go on tour. What's all the different opportunities that we have. So we started looking for a marketing person, somebody that understand marketing because we wanted to be marketed different. We wanted fans to see us in a different light. Um, very important to do that because you have your rock audience, which is the most important thing to us. But there's other people out there that may not have heard of you that would also love you and get into your band. And so we met Alan Kovac. We met a lot of other managers and stuff. It was the same old dog and pony show. Yeah, I'll put you guys on the road for 18 months and you'll either die from an overdose or uh, you guys will break up, but I'll get my 15%. And Alan was like, I don't do that. And we had, you know, we literally sit in on uh, these, these like huge marketing meetings and like how we could plug the band in here and how we could, you know, even coming up with stuff like, um, you know, like the soda that we had, um, Motley Brew and, and doing a lot of interesting press that was just outside the norm. And we started finding ourselves really enjoying that. And Alan, uh, Alan's the manager of Motley Crue. He's also been my manager in 27 years. I've never signed uh, contract with Alan. Um, Al, I'm a handshake guy. I guess Alan knows that. I don't know what his deal is with anybody else. Um, we work together because we enjoy working together. We spend a lot of time coming up with ideas and a lot of times being told no by him and me trusting in him enough uh, about uh, right around the time of the heroin diaries, I wanted to do a children's book and for parents to read to kids about some of the dangers and figuring out a way to do that. That wouldn't be scary. Right. And he said, I need you to wait 10 or more years because we got all this other stuff that we're doing. And right now that's something that's going to happen in the next year. Probably, you know, me and my wife are working on a children's book, teaching kids, not about drugs and alcohol. This one's about diversity and a culture and the last administration really woke my American administration woke my brain up to how divided people are, especially in America. And uh, so I'm able to live and breathe and absorb and create and have ideas and have a guy that I could talk to. He's like, now this is something that's important. We're going to do. I got a stadium tour like in front of me, like I'm going to go out and blow stuff up and rock out and have a great time. And it's a great package. I hope to go to Europe and South America and on and on, but also the creative brain wants to feel free to do other stuff. And I'll be honest with you. Uh, I don't do it for money. Most of the side stuff I do doesn't really make any money. I mean, uh, other people make money, but it's because I love it. And if I love it, I could do something and I, you know, I got another 20 years of just being super creative and weird. Like why, you know, why not just keep exploring and Alan Kovacs a part of me being uh, able to explore. Yeah. Uh, you talked about, uh, just uh, talked about the stadium tour, which was uh, not done due to, uh, to COVID. Um, yeah. But it's a, uh, 
unbelievable lineup with Dev Leppard, yeah. with Joan Jett, and the yeah. guys from Poison. How did you get the, the guys together for, for this tour? Well, you know, Live Nation, after the movie came out, was like, hey, you guys want to do some shows? And it's a lot of work. That's why I wrote the first chapter in the book called The Stadium Tour to show people how much work it is. And when it was like, no, they want to do stadiums, I woke us up. It's like, wow, how fun would that be? And the conversations came about Def Leppard. Def Leppard's like, we're in. And then we just like flushed the lineup out. So it was like a great night of songs and energy. And I'm so excited that Def Leppard specifically and, and Joan and, and uh, Poison were able to wait out. And 100% we're starting in America June 19th. Uh, 100% we're ending sometime at the end of September in America then by then we're going to have some idea what is the rest of the world look like, because we would like, and Def Leppard would like to take this thing around the world. Yeah. I like the guys from Def Leppard noted for a long, long time. Yeah. It'd be good. It's a good package. Yes. Yeah, Def Leppard are just great guys too. You know, they're a great band. They're great to work with and uh, they're funny on text messages. <laughs> <laughs> Let's talk about just one thing about the book. Um, you you mentioned uh, a guy from Supertramp you met after a concert. Yeah. You remember? Who was the guy? Uh, I, I can't remember which guy it was. Um, but yeah, him, you know, we, we, we met him and we were just so green and so young and so in love with the idea that our bands all are best friends and all get along and he's like yeah we just did a greatest hits album but we were never together because like we all like don't get along and and i remember just looking at the guys and we were like that's never gonna be us and what's interesting is in life um sometimes that actually does happen and we've gone through some rough patches but we're in a great spot right now so so one one, one thing about supertrend I was so surprised that you are a Supertramp fan. How can you not be a Supertramp fan? <laughs> I am a songwriting fan. Like, like, if you look at, like, any of my playlists and stuff, and you're like, Jimmy Dean, Supertramp, Black Sabbath, T-Rex, Ramones, The Sweet, and Jimmy Dean. I mean, I love songwriting, so I don't care what genre it is if it's a great song like i bite down on it <laughs> hey thanks man i'm sorry to have to jump but we'll talk next time okay nikki thanks a lot have a good time whole lot of talk the interviews that rock subscribe to our channel for more rocking podcasts